Hi, this is Katie Maxwell. And I'm Lauren Paris. We're your hosts of Voices of the Earth, a Faith in Place podcast. We explore the intersection of spirituality, the environment, and justice. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year and welcome back to Voices of the Earth. I'm Lauren Paris and I'm joined by my co-host, Katie Maxwell. Katie, how are you? I'm doing well, Lauren. Happy New Year. How are you? I'm doing well, too. Happy New Year. Excited to kick off a new year. Um, And yeah, coming down off of that holiday high. How How was your holidays? My holidays were lovely, got to relax a lot, and I really appreciated that time to to rest and also be with my loved ones. Um, did you have some good holidays? Yeah, mine were pretty chill as well. Got to see some family and wrap some gifts, which I love to do. I very much like the wrapping process. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. Did you get anything cool for Christmas? Um, I think the, my favorite thing, it was my, the main thing that I wanted was a weighted blanket. Um, I've been wanting one for a while and I was just really, really grateful that I was able to get that because it's something that I feel like will help my ability to sleep better. Um, I tend to have a hard time falling asleep and just struggle with generalized anxiety. So was very, very grateful for that special gift. Um, yeah. How about you? That's Lauren, awesome. was there anything that you were like, yes, this, this is what I wanted or just really grateful for an experience? Yeah. I got um, a book about plants, a book about houseplants, which is good because I'm very much in my early houseplant mom phase. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not an expert yet, but I'm an an inspiring uh, plant mom. So (laughs) that will be helpful because I have two plants right now and I couldn't tell you what they're called, but they're very pretty. And I haven't killed them yet. So (laughs) I think that that's progress. But I'm excited to dig into that book because it, you know, has a lot more information. And yeah, that was a good gift. And I also got um, a Smeg water heater. I don't know if you've seen the Smeg brand, but it's the vintage, um, Mm -hmm. you know, they have like toasters and appliances like that. So I drink a lot of tea, so I got a little electric uh, kettle to heat up water for my tea and other needs. So those are my top two gifts. (laughs) Those are great gifts. I definitely have considered a plant guidebook before. I'm like you. I'm pretty novice when it comes to taking care of plants and have been gifted plants in the past that I've killed and feel guilty about. So um, best of luck to you on your plant mom journey. And I think a a water kettle too is also an excellent gift. I have one as well. And I love using it to make um, tea, but also 
uh, French press and all sorts of different things, boiling water really efficiently as well. Oh, it's actually funny that you mention um, a tea kettle because over the holidays I was watching YouTube. I love, you know, relaxing and watching different YouTubers. And I found this TEDx video about gifting and the speaker is a professor of marketing and was describing how she specifically asked for a tea kettle and instead got this fancy like charcuterie board made out of Himalayan salt or something. And she returned that for the tea kettle that she wanted and was really making the argument that um, gifting is a lot about the person who's giving the gift. And it's not a bad thing to be really clear with people about what it is that you want specifically um, so that you don't get someone something that they don't want to use or will return or, or things like that. So um, it sounds like you got exactly what you wanted and needed this year. And I'm really excited for that, Lauren. Yeah, thank you. And I, I love that point about asking for exactly what you need or want, because it's the worst feeling when someone gives you a gift and you just don't have room for it or you don't have use for it. And especially if they don't, you know, give you a gift receipt, it kind of can just sit around your house or end up being thrown out or given to um, a goodwill. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it can be a bit wasteful. So I'm definitely trying to practice that in the new year, <laughs> asking for what you want in a polite and respectful way. Um, if someone's willing to give you a gift, I think is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of your weighted blanket, mm. um, I, what's your initial review of it? Have you used it yet? Because today we're going to be uh, talking a bit about anxiety and specifically eco-anxiety. So I think that's a great tie-in, Katie. Yeah, and thanks for asking, Lauren. Um, I really love it. I, I have been using it, so I um, I kind of knew that I was going to be getting it, um, and I waited to open it till the end, partially because it was the, the big thing, and it also I expected would be something that I would put on top of me and then not want to get up from the couch, and that was very true. <laughs> um, it just immediately like slowed me down. And mm -hmm. at first I didn't like quite notice it until I tried to get up to move, to grab my water. Um, and I even shared it with someone and they were like, oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't get it until now. And I, I went, yeah, it's great. So I, um, I moved it. And um, I've taken it with me. It's now on my bed. So um, I'm sleeping with it. And that's also been kind of a process, a journey, um, because I like to be warm when I sleep. So I have a number of blankets and things, a comforter. Um, and I really had to sort of adjust and figure out how many blankets are the right number of blankets now that I've added this weighted blanket, which, by the way, this is not sponsored at all. Um, but I specifically asked for 
a cotton napper from the company Barabee because they're sustainable. It's organic cotton. It's like woven. So it has a really beautiful texture. It's pink. Um, and I think the pink color is really, really beautiful. Um, but yeah, I had it on top of my bed or my comforter at first. And with the other blankets, that was too much weight. So then I put it underneath my comforter and took off a couple blankets. And that seems to be the right combination of weight and warmth, where I'm not overheating and waking up in the middle of the night and, you know, defeating the purpose of the blanket um, to begin with. So I'm, yeah, uh, to answer your question, really glad that I've gotten it. Um, I think as we were preparing for this episode, which by the way, um, Lauren and I have sort of decided that we're going to have a new season, kind of a truncated season where it's just going to be her and I talking and um, chatting about topics that we care about. You know, eco-anxiety is definitely one of those topics that we care a lot about and was thinking about the weighted blanket as a great way to connect to that because um, I found an article recently from Penn Medicine called Four Ways Weighted Blankets Can Actually Help You. And they say, quote, the gentle pressure on your body provided by a weighted blanket can also help to calm you by activating your parasympathetic nervous system, which lowers your heart rate when you're stressed. And specifically talked about benefiting for conditions, anxiety, sleep disorders, ADHD, and autism, um, which I was like, yes, thank you, <laughs> Penn, for writing this article, um, because I think it's spot on, especially noting that they also said anxiety affects 40 million adults in the U.S. annually and sleep disorders affect 50 to 70 million adults in the U.S. annually. Um, and I feel like I certainly fall into both of those categories. So I'm excited to have a tool in my tool belt that I can use alongside meditation. I have an app. Um, that I use to help me with meditation, um, therapy, exercise, um, and other tools to really help me manage my anxiety. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing, Katie. Um, I also have been looking into getting a weighted blanket. So my, I, I got my partner a weighted blanket for Christmas a few years ago, and it's just a small one. And I always try to steal it from him. So <laughs> I think it's time that I get my own. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I also struggle with anxiety and ADHD. So I've heard that um, weighted blankets can be a really helpful tool for that. Um, and speaking of anxiety and depression and all the fun things, I know that a lot of people are dealing with seasonal depression right now. If you already struggle with depression or anxiety, you know, the, this darkness, um, the dark winter season can be really challenging for folks. Um, in the Northern Hemisphere where we live, we just passed the longest night of the year, the winter solstice on the 21st. 
Um, so that doesn't help. <laughs> I feel like it hasn't Mm-mm. been helping my mood or my anxiety. What about you, Katie? Yeah, absolutely not. I always feel the sad coming on. Um, it's so aptly named. I love that <laughs> acronym. Um, and yeah, it's it's definitely the darkness affects my mood. Um, the cold temperatures make it um, less appealing to go outside, even though that's also something that I see people suggesting to, even though it's cold outside, that the the natural like air, the breeze, um, being outside, getting that sunshine is really important, um, whatever the season. And so when I'm not as motivated to go outside in the cold winter, um, I often use a happy light. So that's another tool in my tool belt that I use to help my um, anxiety and specifically sad um, symptoms. Do you have a happy light, Lauren? Okay, I don't have a happy light. And I've also been looking into getting one of those because, (laughs) you know, I... I don't know if everyone can relate, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners could relate to the work, to working from home. And, you know, I live in Chicago, so I live in a pretty small apartment and I work for Faith in Place nine to five from home all week. And it can get really isolating, especially in the darker months. And especially if you don't get good light uh, in your apartment. So I've definitely noticed that. And especially when it's cold outside, like you said, Katie, and you don't really want to, you don't feel like going out, going for a walk, those sorts of things. I've spent like multiple days in the apartment, not, not leaving. And it really takes a toll. I remember like it was two to three days back to back. I had not left my apartment because I had just been working and it was super cold out. And then I went to the grocery store and I like took a uh, deep breath of fresh air outside and I was like wow mm. this feels so nice I felt like my mood instantly lifted um, so definitely can relate and definitely see the benefit of a happy light as well if you are stuck inside yeah definitely um, just adding on really quickly like I can so relate to staying in your apartment for a whole week and then at the end of the week, like finally stepping out for the first time. And it's become a really bad habit of mine that I am working on consistently to try to get outside and get that fresh air, even if I don't feel like it, um, because it does make a really big difference in positively affecting my mood. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And weighted blankets, happy lights, stepping outside, all of these things are a great tie-in to our main topic for the day, which is eco-anxiety. These are just some of the tools that help us cope with anxiety, Um, but we're going to focus a bit more on specifically eco-anxiety. And Katie really likes this article that she shared with me from Healthline about eco-anxiety because it explores the causes, the symptoms, how to cope with it and even how to address it with kids, which is interesting. Um, And for those of you who don't know what eco-anxiety is, it refers to persistent worries about the future of Earth and the life it shelters. 
So related terms, as this article suggests, is climate change distress, eco-trauma, eco-angst, and ecological grief, just to name a few. Um, and we acknowledge that this concern often involves symptoms beyond those of anxiety alone. Yeah, and I thought that part was especially interesting because it the article lists out a number of different symptoms or feelings, which can include, quote, anger or frustration, particularly toward people who don't acknowledge climate change or perhaps even older generations who are not making enough progress. <clears throat> the government, sorry, uh, fatalistic thinking, uh, feelings of existential dread, um, guilt or shame related to your own carbon footprint, post-traumatic stress disorder after experiencing effects of climate change. That's one I want to come back to. Um, feelings of depression, anxiety, or panic, as well as grief and sadness over the loss of natural environments or wildlife populations. Um, our colleague Wade has been sharing some pictures about Heron Pond, which is in far southern Illinois, and our staff team had the amazing opportunity to visit it this summer and see it when it was um, lush and green and beautiful and also full of snakes, which Lauren didn't like at all. Uh, but he recently sent us these pictures because Southern Illinois and the Mississippi River Basin have been experiencing considerable droughts this summer and fall, and it has significantly impacted Heron Pond. Um, so now that we have that that tie, that that was one that really stood out to me. Um, but just to finish these symptoms really quickly, it can also look like obsessive thoughts about the climate. It can be doom scrolling as well. And it though can contribute to sleep problems, appetite changes, difficulty concentrating. And, you know, in our conversation, Lauren and I have already been talking a lot about sleep problems, but appetite and difficulty concentrating are important ones to note as well. So that was a long list. Uh, were there any in that list for you, Lauren, that stuck out? Hashtag existential dread. It's <laughs> <laughs> like my middle name. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But kind of. Um, yeah, I can relate to a lot of these. I mean, for us, we're working in the climate environmental movement. So I think it's, um, I think that you know, we're, we're feeling this maybe more than some folks because it's at the top of our mind. Um, but also people who are living in high risk zones, like living um, near the coast where you're at more risk for extreme weather events like hurricanes and things like that. I think it's uh, these symptoms really affect those people as well. And I also can definitely relate to the doom scrolling. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. As much as I think social media can be powerful, especially in the environmental movement, because it helps us communicate with people across the world, across the country. Um, and it helps us learn more about what's going on and actually visually see the effects of climate change from 
uh, not only our backyard, but like I said, from all over the world. But with that being said, it can also be extremely overwhelming, especially if, you know, you start doom scrolling, (laughs) which is just, you can't stop, you get down the rabbit hole and it can really affect your mental health. And I think that's something that we have to be mindful of, like finding that balance between staying up to date and being educated on what's going on and acknowledging what's going on, but also not letting it, not letting it affect your mental health to the point where you can't function or where it's really affecting you when you're developing symptoms of eco-anxiety, like especially um, the more severe symptoms like sleep, sleep problems and appetite changes. Right. And I think the doom scrolling is especially tied to sleep problems if you're someone like me who has a bad habit of looking at my phone until I can't keep my eyes open anymore and um, just looking at content throughout the night and knowing that blue light affects my sleep, um, keeps me up later than I want to, and then makes it harder the next day to have enough energy to focus and to do the things that I need to do uh, throughout the day and to also not feel down in the dumps about that content that I was absorbing um, and all of those things. So I definitely agree with what you're sharing, Lauren, and um, want to circle back to your comment about living on the coast because I think it's a great connection to the symptom of PTSD that I mentioned because um, I also found another article from Scientific American called Therapists Are Reckoning with Eco-Anxiety. And in that article, they make the direct link to current climate change impacts on people's mental health. They say, Quote, between 2009 and 2020, the proportion of Americans who said they had personally experienced the effects of global warming increased from 32% to 42%, according to the 2020 survey from the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication. And in some cases, these effects are directly impacting mental health. Researchers followed more than 1,700 children who lived through four major hurricanes. Ike, Charlie, Katrina, and Andrew. Their results published earlier that year found that up to half of the children went on to experience symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. And for 10% of those children, they those symptoms became chronic, end quote. And it's just really interesting. It's sad, but it's also interesting that there are already studies pointing to the direct impacts of experiencing hurricanes on the mental health of children and specifically PTSD. What do you make of that, Lauren? Yeah, I mean, I definitely believe it. I think it's sad. (laughs) I think it's sad, but I think it's um, the reality we're facing. And I'm glad to hear that there are more studies Um, being done on the effects of climate change on mental health. Um, And I think it's good that like therapists are recognizing eco-anxiety and using the term um, more and more. I think it's good, definitely good to have um, 
resources to go to therapy if you can to have someone to talk to um, about these feelings and about what's happening in the world. But I mean, what does eco anxiety look like to you, Katie, in in like your everyday life? I know we talked about our doom scrolling and some of that, but how does this present itself um, for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking me. Um, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I have PTSD, thankfully, but I do really identify with that anger or frustration at people who are not acknowledging that climate change exists, that are denying it, and people who maybe see it as a problem, but aren't taking action, um, that especially um, gives me just feelings of deep sadness and almost like at points, I think when it's at its worst futility of we're doing all that we can every single day to work against climate change and to mitigate the worst effects um, for our community. But it's folks who have a lot of power a lot of the time that I feel like are not doing enough. And um, I was kind of joking earlier, but I see the U.S. federal government as being a big part of that. And um, that's not to say that our personal actions aren't important. They very much are. Um, But it's not my individual actions that make me feel eco-anxiety. It's knowing that other people aren't stepping up to the plate and doing their fair share um, that makes me feel that futility. And and I kind of have to work through that um, a lot. Yeah. No, I definitely relate to that. Thanks for sharing. Um, it's frustrating. And going back to the PTSD study, you, mm. um, you know, you mentioned that the, the study, the researchers were following children who lived through these major traumatic uh, weather events. And I really think like, that's where my mind goes. I feel like eco-anxiety, like it affects everyone, but I think it especially affects and will continue to affect children in the younger generations. And I mean, even us, I mean, we're in our 20s. Um, mm-hmm. So we're a younger generation too. And I think for me, a lot of the times eco-anxiety presents itself um, in my life as me feeling like, what's what's the point? Like, um, you know, just sort of like, the joy of life being stolen from us a bit because we're the ones uh, in the generations following us. We're the ones who are going to have to deal with the effects of climate change the most. Um, And it can be nerve wracking because like you said, we don't, there's this sense of we don't have control. I mean, like you said, we have control in some ways. Efficacy is really important and doing what we can is really Mm -hmm. important. But there is this sense of hopelessness because it's like, 
we need massive change. And yeah, it's just, for me, I don't like the unknown. I have a fear of the unknown. That's why I don't like snakes. I don't like snakes because they're, (laughs) they can hide. You know what I mean? Like they can hide. You can't see them coming. Like if a bear is coming at me, I can see the bear from miles away. You know, I can see it. I can hear it. But like a snake is very sneaky and you don't know where they are and you don't know when it could bite your leg. And Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of how I feel about climate change and eco-anxiety is like, will we have a future? Um, What's the point of going to work every day and doing these mundane daily tasks and all of that when I'm, I've been feeling like I just want to travel. Like I just want to live it up and like experience life because I don't Mm -hmm. know how long I'll be able to live my life or live this quality of life. Yeah. And it's hard to predict when the problem of climate change is so massive and so complex in that it takes a very long time we're starting to see the effects now, but it's been taking over a hundred years for the amount of um, greenhouse gases to build up into the atmosphere um, to a point where we're starting to see those impacts. And um, I, scientists, I, I do want to clarify, scientists have been tracking the you know climate change. Um, for a very long time, over a hundred years. But the what I'm trying to say is that it's such a big issue that it's hard for us as humans to put our to minds around it and to really grasp everything and to um, care about an issue that has impacts that even you and I won't see uh, in the future. Um, and to care about something that is going to change is changing the climate for a very long time into the future. Um, I hope that was clear, but I also wanted to add um, that another symptom that I just kind of want to mention or talk about is like the guilt or shame related to your own carbon footprint is one that I find kind of problematic because that's one, like the carbon footprint itself is one that the fossil fuel industries created to shift the onus of the responsibility from them to us. And so it's hard to not feel guilt or shame when we live in a society that's dependent on a lot of like shopping online, for example, and shipping and and all of that. Um, So that's one that I definitely feel too, but try to reframe as well Um, because I don't think it's as helpful as sometimes like it is made to seem, you know? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. 
I mean, even like I went to school for environmental studies and they really like drill in our heads the your carbon footprint and you know what you can be doing to improve that and I mean I think it's important to think about our carbon footprint but as you said like we all of us using reusable bags or you know I don't know turning the lights off in our homes it's (laughs) (laughs) like it only does so much we need we need major changes and we need um policy folks to be on our side we need world leaders to really step up to the plate and it's frustrating um as like a everyday person (laughs) yeah we do and we we need that data like you said earlier appreciating that there's data from therapists that are tracking the effects of climate change on mental health. We need data to support the argument that we need to take big systemic change. Uh, You had pulled out um, some data about cancer risk from um, low air quality regions um, after Christina kind of mentioned this in our monthly calls. So uh, plug for our monthly calls too. We have one every month. They're usually the third Thursday of the month. Um, so for January, 2023, that'll be January 19th. And then, yeah, check our calendar for, for other ones. Um, but yeah, Lauren, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the data that you found from Clean Air Task Force. Yeah. So you know, this came about because Katie and I were talking about living in a city and we live in Chicago. And unfortunately, like there are a lot of environmental, um, environmental issues happening. It's a big environmental justice city. There are certain areas that are more affected, um, like BIPOC and low income areas are disproportionately affected by, um, climate change and environmental pollution. Um, And so we were just talking about that, like, do we want to live in a city that unfortunately does have, like most of the city doesn't have great air quality. And um, in particular, we were talking about diesel, cancer risk from diesel soot alone. Um, And Illinois ranks number five out of 50. So one being the most at risk to develop cancer, 50 being the least at risk to develop cancer from soot pollution, diesel soot pollution, and Illinois ranks number five. So we're pretty high risk of developing cancer. And Indiana ranks number nine and Wisconsin ranks 29. Um, In projected deaths in 2023 from Diesel soot alone is 760 deaths uh, just in one year. And then projected health damages in 2023, um, the cost is expected to be $8.5 billion. And so it's like, I don't know, it just, it's really disheartening to hear that. And it makes me concerned like I'm constantly thinking about the water I'm drinking because in Chicago, for example, like we have an issue with lead in our water. 
thinking about the air that we're breathing. Um, and it's like, it's just, it's stressful. And, you know, you wonder like, am I developing health issues? And, um, and then also thinking about the cost of that down the road, if you do develop cancer or, um, any other health problems, just thinking about the the cost of dealing with that, at least in the U S our medical system, it's not great. No, it's not. And it's an additional cost that the I like the way that the Clean Air Task Force frames it, projected health damages, that we as individuals have to shoulder the financial burden of dealing with cardiovascular and lung illnesses, um, other kinds of cancer, um, and also the, um, the health system has to manage that as well, you know, those costs. Um, and it's, it's deeply concerning. I agree. And, and that stress is not healthy for us either, right? Like that is another part and parcel of feelings of anxiety, feelings of depression, um, that we have to, to manage. And it's all the more reason why, like, as I was saying earlier, Having this data uh, is so important for advocating for climate justice because it's facts that we can use to say to our legislators that we need to reduce the diesel soot pollution. We need to reduce the PM 2.5 pollution um, in our city. And here's what we can do about it. We can electrify vehicles. We can electrify trucks. Um, we can reevaluate all of these different pieces of our um, economy to make them more sustainable and um, you know, that's that was important for us um, in our December call when Christina mentioned this and talked about it with, you know, the holiday season. People are buying a lot of um, goods to give to other people as gifts. Um, and so we want to we wanted to mention it, too, because um, we currently have a petition that applies to all three states where we work. Um, about heavy trucks. So we'll drop that link in the chat alongside our other um, other articles and resources that we've shared during the podcast episode today. And um, yeah, so I think we're going to get ready to wrap up in a minute or so. Um, we've talked throughout the episode about different solutions, different ways that we can take action, because as you said, Lauren, a minute or so ago, that efficacy is so important um, because the sitting in that dread, sitting in that eco-anxiety can actually lead to inaction, but taking action 
actually helps reduce anxiety. And so as we wrap up, um, Lauren, I'm wondering if you might be willing to summarize some of the key takeaways that we've talked about and, and suggestions that we have for our listeners to manage their own eco-anxiety. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think efficacy is key. I know it can be hard sometimes and it can feel like you're not making a difference, but you are. I mean, it's a ripple effect and like grassroots power is how, is how so many, is how everything like really changes. I mean, it starts from the bottom up. And so we all really have to come together and do what we can um, to help the problem and set a good example also for future generations who will eventually be the leaders of our society. So also in addition to that, I mean, I would say try to limit your doom scrolling as we talked about earlier, have social media or use social media in healthy amounts um, and be compassionate toward um, yourself. I mean, we all, we need to be more compassionate towards ourselves and others and be a bit more understanding, willing to share information and willing to also just deal with our own emotions and like, it's okay to feel anxiety. It's okay to feel eco-anxiety. I think definitely like seeking therapy if you're able to, and you're open to that. Um, I think there's some great uh, resources there. Um, And then spending time in community with others who bring you joy. That's really important. Getting outside, participating in community events and activities, um, working toward a common goal. You know, you can do a trash cleanup, a forest preserve work day. You could get involved with Faith in Place if you're in the Midwest. Um, we have a lot of great programs and um, site visits and awesome stuff that we do that really helps um, feel like you're making a difference because you are. <laughs> um, getting involved in advocacy, you know, there's at, there's usually advocacy days and in each state, you could do hyper local um, and really just like contacting your your legislators, sending signing petitions, uh, speaking with your legislators on bills that you want passed or a certain legislation that you want passed um, to help the environment or your communities. And buy a weighted blanket. Hashtag not sponsored. <laughs> Yeah, not sponsored, but totally in love with the weighted blanket and with um, using the tools that we have available to us to manage our eco-anxiety, manage our depression. Um, These are real and impacting us, uh, you know, each of us, but also impacting a lot of our listeners. Um, So I just want to end by sharing a bit of gratitude for you, Lauren, and um, having this conversation with me. I think it's a really interesting and also important topic. Um, And for our listeners for taking the time to uh, listen um, to us talk about our personal experiences with eco-anxiety and um, hopefully you are taking away something from this conversation, whether it's um, a fact about how eco-anxiety affects people, whether it's a tool to maybe put into your own tool belt. We hope 
that this benefited you and that you come back and listen to our future episodes as well. Um, it's been a really enjoyable conversation. So thank you and have a great one. We'll see you again soon. Thanks, everyone. This podcast is a creation of Faith in Place, a multi-faith environmental justice nonprofit based in Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin. We are the proud affiliate of Interfaith Power and Light, and we are on a mission to empower people of all faiths and spiritualities to be leaders in caring for the earth, providing resources to educate, connect, and advocate for healthier communities. This week's episode was produced by Brogan Malloy. Your hosts are Katie Maxwell and Lauren Paris. Our theme song is Sweet Talk by Tyra Chatney. Please rate, review, or share this podcast with someone who might enjoy it. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you enjoy this podcast, please support the work of Faith in Place by donating. Please go to faithinplace.org forward slash donate. Your support means we can empower more youth, engage with more green teams, and advocate for better climate policies that put people and the planet first. And please follow our social media pages on Twitter at voices underscore of underscore earth and on Instagram at Voices of Earth Podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>